Kevin. I know, right? So we are live. So let me see if we can get my our intro going. In a world of, I'm gonna stop that before I get whiplash. I got I got the intro. So let me. In a world of divisiveness, we bring you diversity. In a world of hate, we bring you love. In a world of fear, we inspire you to live. And now, laughing, loving, and alive with your hosts, Rain Thomas, Elmer J. Howard, and Dr. Kevin. Hello, hello, hello. I am Steve Jobs. Oh. That's somebody great to be. And then here comes, I see his reflection in the window. Um, <laughs> all sorts of crackling and crashing. Do we want to start that again, Mr. Jobs? <laughs> okay, monster. Okay, so we know <laughs> who you are. And okay. You guys sound far away. We hear you okay. Okay. Hold on, let me see if I can. All that heavy this, breathing, I'm not you guys well at all. Like some sick porn flip, uh, uh, and then like the Cookie Monster showed up. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Char. Hey, Char. Look at my new shirt. So, Rain, why don't you introduce yourself or whoever you are tonight? You know what? I am one of my friends that I respect a lot. Her name is Margaret Kelly Carey. And Margaret is the original Tinkerbell model for Disney. You know, the little Tinkerbell that comes on. And that would be my friend, Margaret Carey. Merry early Christmas. And and who do we have in the Cookie Monster shirt? Cookie! <laughs> Me ate your gift. Cookie! <laughs> and Cookie Monster needs to go grab Cookie. Keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yummy. Yeah, he's acting like he doesn't want to be on here with us tonight. Poor Roger. He just doesn't even know what's happening. He's probably in the background like, how do I disconnect? <laughs> yeah, so Rain, how has your last few weeks been? My last few weeks have been awesome. Um, went to Hollywood a couple of weeks ago to, uh, you know, Warner Brothers called and I got really? my Hulk toothbrush, and uh, yeah, 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 I went out there. It was great. Nice. Anything can't you can tell, tell us about? What? No, oh, can't okay. tell you, um, but it's you'll know who it is, and when it posts, or when it's starting to show, I'll post that. But um, it was really fun. It was really exciting. I had a great time. Glad they called, and um you know, I'm looking forward to this being the beginning of many calls. You can see Char's been drinking for all of you out there reading our <laughs> chats. I just want to let you know that it's Sunday. She's at home. She's drinking and it's okay, Char. I still love you. Where Dr. Ken, where do you go get the cookies from? <laughs> Connecticut? <laughs> Probably. My goodness, what in the world? How was your last couple of weeks there, Elmer? Uh, pretty good. Um, let's see, not much else happening. I think I, I've already told you about the trip to um, Phoenix, right? For the production accounting that I'm doing for a film you in January. snippet, but not a whole lot. Yeah, so January fourth through December, uh, sorry, February fifth, I'll be uh, okay. in Phoenix. <laughs> I'll be in uh, Phoenix okay. doing um, uh, production accounting for a film. So it's I get to skate Maine winters for a uh, for a month, which is nice. Um, and Shara says that uh, Kevin went to Sesame Street to get his cookies. She's probably uh, very close. I. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me how to get it? <laughs> <laughs> right. So you're going to be there for a whole month and yeah. change. Well, yeah, that'll busy. be awesome. 
Yeah, it'll be. I'll be really busy. You know, as you know, on being on on a film set, even as the accountant, um, sometimes I, you know, we have to run even longer hours um, because we have to do, um, you know, the end of the day stuff when people are bringing us the petty cash and invoices and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it'll be a busy time, but it'll be good. And you know, doing it as a favor for a friend um, because mm-hmm. you know, obviously, I'd rather be directing, but you know, this is some, some extra cash and helping out a friend. So it's a, a nice thing to do. You know, what? I never understood that term petty cash. There really is no cash that's, that's petty. petty. <laughs> I, I never understood. And everywhere I've ever been, I thought when I first started working you know, like eons ago and they said petty cash, that everybody had an idea petty cash is under $99. And I heard somewhere that it's under a certain amount in different states because after that's a felony, it's no longer a misdemeanor if you steal it. Gotcha. Yeah, I think for us, we're just, I'm setting petty, uh, petty cash. Uh, I don't remember what we chose, 250 or 500 or something. But anyway, basically, yeah, petty cash is just, uh, in businesses back in the day, it was literally cash they kept in an envelope. So when somebody had to run right. out, they would give them cash. On set, in this, at least in this film, we have petty cash that way. But also petty cash is, there's a account that I will move a certain amount of money over and say, you've got this much in your petty cash account and it'd be bigger months like a thousand dollars for the costumes to go out and buy stuff they might need for the day right but so yeah it's petty cash can mean different things depending on, on what you're what you're referring to so petty cash isn't like me and one of my buddies whoosh or um 50 cent where we get even with people when they don't see us coming merry christmas <laughs> Is that does that cash get really petty? Like the fives don't want to hang out with the tens because they get petty. You no, know, <laughs> yes, that's petty cash. <laughs> <laughs> right. So well, other than that, I'm glad I, you're doing that. Yeah, and we're getting ready to, or you know, raising funds to pay the attorney for the next film. So um, you know, uh, I'm getting close to having raised enough money for the attorney so that we can go out and talk to the big investors for my next film. So. That's I'm moving excited. along. And of course, tax season is going to be coming up. So um, that'll be keeping me busy starting next year. Wow. I can't, it seems like we were just talking about you doing the tax season stuff. And here we are again talking about tax season. Well, last year's tax season didn't end until October 15th. So it was, I was oh. talking about that because of the pandemic and the extensions. Right. And all right. That. Okay. Really, if you extended your tax return, you had until October 15th to do it. So I was busy with taxes through October. Yeah, I didn't extend anything. I didn't even know it was an option. I don't play with the IRS. I look at <laughs> them shouldn't. as Scarface. You know, it's like the original mob. I don't want to play with them. I want them to leave me alone. Just take yours. Don't bother me. I don't want any extensions. None right, right. Not interested. Oh, did you take Dr. Kevin out of the... I did. I decided we don't need a blank screen there. He, I can still see him. So when he shows back up in my, you know, down in my little room, I can bring him back into the actual live stream so people can get to see more of our pretty faces. Okay, I'll go for that. Do you like my background tonight? Yeah, are you, you, you're actually at home, right? I am at home. You got your little stars shining up on the wall. You know what? Stars for a star is what my friends tell me. I'm, it's taken me a while to kind of grasp that, but isn't that what I'm working towards and what you're working towards? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. So well, tonight's theme is stardom. Um, right, Rochelle? Right, Char? Right, Donna Paisley? Right, all the other silent people who are texting me privately instead of in the chat? I'm not going to answer you on my phone. I just want you guys to know it. I know you're watching and doing your thing. You're afraid I'm going to call you out. But I'll call you out when you start texting me on my phone. Right. Yes, that's right. Tell them, Char. We had a good, it's been a good few weeks, you know. Um, I'm waiting for you to put out your big, 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 big films because, you know, I got my purse ready and my clothes and <laughs> eating spinach and carrots to keep my memory sharp. Right. Well, I said, I'm seriously considering you as the owner of, of the restaurant for the, the, the movie I'm working on. So. Okay. You hear that you guys 
seriously considering me. That is called a contract among friends. That's what that is called. <laughs> and and I was gonna. And, you got something else to say? I was gonna say. No, and, speak, and, and speaking about stars, it may be a good segue for our for our guest. Yes, I think so. Because Doctor, I, I hope Doctor Kevin's okay. Like ran off to grab cookies, and I understand how yummy cookies can be. Can you see my glasses? Can you yeah, see they're, the, like, they're the reflection? reflection. <laughs> yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so I. <laughs> Uh, I actually uh, semi met our next guests. They were in the same uh, film festival, the short film festival. We were in uh, the Bentonville Film Festival, which is a uh, it's a good, really good film festival. And they decided uh, they did these blocks. We were in the same LGBTQ block, and they decided to instead of doing separate interviews, which a lot of uh, festivals do, uh, they they took our whole block, put us on a Zoom meeting and interviewed each of the films that were going to be playing in order. And so I stayed through and watched all the interviews. And when I saw Roger's interview, I, I was blown away. I was excited. He's, they are a fun person. They uh, command, command, you know, command the, the, the screen. Uh, they did a, their film was called Taffeta. Um, and I don't know if it's still in the festivals. Uh, like Kings and Queens is, uh, but uh, they can let us know if they still are uh, in the in the festivals. And I think we also have uh, I see a cat there. So they uh, when I when I saw them get interviewed, I'm like I have to have them on my on our show. I'm like they would be perfect because uh, Dr. Kevin and 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 Roger's energy is gonna they're gonna have so much fun. Rain, you and I are just gonna sit back and just enjoy the show. <laughs> so. Um, and I'll read just a little quick bit about uh, I won't do what I did last week and read a three minute bio. <laughs> uh, people can go to the Facebook if they want to see their full bio. Uh, Roger also has rogerqmason.com and there's more about them on there. Um, but uh, Roger Q. Mason is an award winning writer, performer and educator known for using history's lens to highlight the biases that separate us, separate rather than unite us. Mason was recently dubbed the Brooklyn Rail as quickly becoming one of the most significant playwrights of the decade. Um, and that, I believe that's where Taffeta came from. I believe this was a play that, that you had written, Roger. Hello, everybody. How are y'all doing? Okay, Good before sunshine. we start any of this, I need to ask a couple of questions because I have to get this right. Okay, so Roger, what do you like to be called? Roger Mason, Roger Mason. Well, my, so my, my full name is Roger Q. Mason and my middle yes. name is Quincy. So I, I've been called all kinds of things. Over the years. <laughs> and tonight will be proof. So you better tell us what to call you. So, I, would, I would say Roger is perfect for tonight. Okay. And I noticed that Elmer kept referring as they. So yes. explain that to me because I want to make sure, and I want the people who are watching to sure. understand because this is inclusive and I like for people to feel inclusive. So yes. please explain that for all the people watching, including myself who are over 30 and don't really understand they. Well, so, you know, it's funny because the children taught me what they was, even though I was living it all the time. You know, growing up, I um, was always what they now call gender non-binary, although okay. at the time there was not a term for it. You know, they might, you know, call you all kinds of negative sort of homophobic things, and that would be the stand-in. But for me... There, there was never a, a, a sort of finite definition that that masculinity or he, him, his masculine pronouns, male pronouns, could actually encapsulate not only who I was, but how I spoke, how I behaved, how I felt that I was and how I manifested. And for a long time, even up till now, I would always be identified as she, her, because my energy 
many times, and I, I'm saying this because I'm going to get into the transition. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of times I'll be called she, her, and I could have a five o'clock channel on and I'll still be called she, her. In fact, I remember a couple of years ago, maybe it was longer than that now, um, there was a woman that was driving me in an Uber and she, you know, she didn't really fully see my face because I was, she was driving and I was sitting in the back and she had called me, she, her the whole time. And when she looked back to thank me for being a writer, she was, you know, I had, I had not shaven and she was all of a sudden very confused because the essence of the individual that she had been conversing with was female or feminine identifying. Mm -hmm. That's what she had been socialized into identifying as a feminine or female Got it. behavior. And I can't help that. That's not something that I put on. I've always been this way. I did uh, Romeo and Juliet when I was, I would say 20 years old and I played the nurse. And I remember some patrons of the theater had me turn around for them after the show. They sat in the lobby and had me turn around because they could not believe that the person they had seen in that show was assigned male or masculine at birth. So I've always lived in a space where I defied and redefined what people understand as gender or gender identity. So when I when they started coming up with all of this terminology, you know, New York State was one of the great innovators of this, identifying 31 genders outside of the binary, he, him, or she, her. When they started to come up with these terms, I suddenly felt like I had a home because I was baseless and homeless in terms of my identity and my tribe until that time. Now, we have a new issue because, you know, as I'm starting to rise up the ranks, so to speak, in our industry, I now find that people are gendering me as he, him. And I think the reason for that is because they're seeing somebody who's successful or seemingly successful and moving forward. And unfortunately, we identify success and command and authority and ownership with masculine traits. So now all of a sudden, people are saying, oh, he did this and he did that. And I'm watching the transit. I don't know if it's where I sit or where my voice may be landing in the box. I don't know what it is, or maybe just nothing. But now I'm in a position where people are seeing more of a masculine identity. But I go by they, them, theirs officially because that was the terminology that allowed me to find home. Excellent. I have people texting saying thank you. They said they were embarrassed to ask. I said, well, that's what keeps us ignorant. Mm. Thank you. That, that clears a lot of things oh, up. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, yeah. One of the things... Hey, Roger Q. Hi, How are you? Dr. Kevin. How are you? <laughs> well, you know, I'm hanging around at Fabulous, but I'm trying to work myself up to fantastic. Uh, <laughs> well, honey, you ain't you ain't got it. You ain't got to work towards a feeling if you stay in one. I've been known a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> baby, don't get me started, honey. Um. <laughs> The, uh, you know, it's uh, one of the things I teach is I teach astrology mm. and I've taken my whole master class and I won't use the terms feminine and masculine anymore in the description. I use mm. yin and yang yes. because there's yin and energy, which we, we think of or associate with feminine, but it's the bringing the energy in to work with it. Mm -hmm. And Yang is going out into the energy. And mm -hmm. so as you were speaking, what I what I wondered is, as you are doing more in and in, in taking more command roles, if your energy needs to go out more in order to achieve what you need to achieve. 
Well, my energy hasn't changed, honey, because I'm still, you know, it's, as as Sylvester says, it's, I, it's still just me. I'm still ah. the same old rag. You remember that from, from Living Proof? You know, right before he does, uh, before he sings uh, something something special living something special mm -hmm. between ourselves and uh so i or at least i don't feel as though something different is happening now maybe the way that my you know momentum is manifesting onto me and through me is being registered by other people as something that is more of a, of an outward you know yes uh direction it's funny because I was in a master class, a yogic master class yesterday with the great James Morrison. And one of the students in the class was asking, well, how do you balance between intuitive yogic practice and, and goal oriented? And what he was talking about essentially was mantra of acceptance. And he didn't articulate it in those words because I could see the student kind of not understanding the esoterics of it quite so you know, concretely. What he was saying, the key is to just acknowledge and accept and embrace the unknown mm -hmm. and who you are and where you are at any given moment. And I think it's that place of wonderment from which I always come. Well, you know, the thing is, we all have it all. Yeah. It's, it's, and it, in any given moment, and a lot of times when I'm working with like my healing students or things like this, I go, the real power is to be able to go in this quickly from your yin to your yang or your yang to your yin energy by what is best in that situation to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's like I do work with them to to basically eradicate the barrier between the left and right brain. Yeah. You, you need to like have that flow. Now I I'm a big proponent of, and, and my greatest teacher taught me that, you know, all structure was created to transcend. Mm. However, we cannot transcend what we do not have. Mm. So, you know, when we can put the structure in to say, I understand the structure now, the whole goal is to evolve it, that's to right. expand past it. And that's where you kind of, you, I would think you would might learn a pose, but then you would intuitively take it to some place that is uniquely yours because your energy is like nobody else's. And my energy today is different from what it was yesterday and it's different from tomorrow. And so I can't expect myself to live up to an expectation today of what I did yesterday or who I am tomorrow. What we're talking about is spiritual pliability. Yes. That's what we're talking yes. about. We're talking about being so nimble in your soul that you are able to move and duck and weave and function in any situation because you're simultaneously ready and anticipatory of change but also happy to accept what is happening to you in that given moment and it's that balance between those two things i think that allows you to live out loud laugh and be joyful well yeah and you know it's it's not getting sucked into anybody else's expectations as well you know, and mm -hmm. one of the things when I work with my regular clients, the first question I ask them, even if I just did a session with them the week before, is I'll be, okay, so, you know, how are you, where are you, and who are you now? Mm. And I teach them all, I never assume you're going to be who you were when we ended that phone call last week. Mm. In fact, I expect you're going to be somebody other. I know you're going to be somebody other. And if you try to be the person from last week, then you actually are not doing the spiritual work because you're supposed mm -hmm. to grow and change. Yep. Supposed to shift, supposed to move, supposed to go with it. So your, your, Elmer, what was the term that you used? He is one of the most, what playwrights? Uh, I'll, I'll help you. It was an article. Listen, let me help you out. Come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Glass are coming off. Uh, a talented playwright and cultural critic um, named, I believe his name was Marcus Scott. 
did an interview of me for Brooklyn Rail Magazine in the fall. And yes. he was concerned and he was concerned with my contributions not only to writing, but also to mentorship. Because I run the um the New Visions Fellowship for Young Black Transgender Playwrights. And it's a national initiative that's in partnership between the National Queer Theater and the Dramatist Guild of America. And one of the quotes that he gave in that interview was that he anticipated that I was becoming one of the most significant playwrights of the decade because of my contributions to um, LGBTQ people of color in the theater. That was his that was his diagnosis of my significance. And I was very flattered and 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 honored that he was letting people know the importance of, of the work that I've been doing really for the last 15 to 20 years. So for me, this was a this was a tremendous uh, turning point that cultural critics are starting to place me in the continuum in some way. And I was quite honored that that is, is starting to happen. It let me know that I just had to keep going. Mm -hmm. So with that significance that mm. has been identified, mm. what is it you would like to most accomplish? Truthfully, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about this, and we came to the conclusion that my most significant contribution to this business is truthfully not the work that I have written, but the work that I have done to inspire the next generation. I'm very happy to write, to collaborate, to build productions, to be in community with artists. That's, you know, who doesn't love a show business moment? But what's even more important than that is the legacy you leave and the people that you bring with you. And for me, that's even more significant if I were to identify it now. Mentoring young artistic minds brings me utmost joy. I think that's always a very interesting thing because, you know, oftentimes people talk about legacy and they talk about leaving something behind when your most immediate legacy is the some ones you touched that continue when you're no longer here. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that will be the legacy of what you also left that will live even beyond them. But I'm even talking about the folks that I'm inspiring while I'm here. Oh yeah, I know. Because I ain't worried about what's happening when I'm gone, honey. I ain't going to be here to see that. <laughs> but I'm interested in who, you know, especially in queer playwriting. You know, okay. we, we are both at, at the center of cultural movement, but also deeply in the fringes. And so the queer playwright exists through a network of mentors, many times chosen family, because traditional developmental opportunities don't often come to queer and trans writers because they're not often perceived as bankable or you know risk worthy or uh, or whatever the case may be that that stymies decision makers from doing something other than cats. You know, and so the the point of the matter is we have to rely on each other and it's an oral tradition and it's a community-based tradition what we write and how we make work so i see today the influence that my the subject matters that my style of writing that some of my narrative devices that some of the questions that i ask of the world through writing i see it in the people that i'm teaching and that lets me know that I'm doing something significant because I've created something that's repeatable and something that somebody else finds of use to their own process. If I can be anything, I can be a vessel for somebody else's success. That's more important. Our own success is ephemeral. It comes and goes and it can be purchased. 
for the fair price of, of, of a publicist and a marketing executive. Mm -hmm. But the lasting thing is what you teach and what you give. When I was in 10th grade, I had a, um, a uh, history teacher and he started off the year with American history. He threw away, he did two things. He, he took our traditional history book and he threw it away. He said, D -d we're not gonna use that. And he had us all buy Howard's Inn, People's History of the United States. Mm -hmm. And so we read from that perspective. And he said, now the second thing is this, I'm, at the end of the year, I'm going to tell you what, what the key to life is. And, you know, you have to imagine we're 15. So we, we over here thinking it's going to be something. So everybody else forgot. I put in my calendar to ask that man in June the answer to that question. And I said, you told us that you would tell us what the key to life is. And I said, what is it? He said, to leave this world a better place than when you came and touched somebody along the way. Now, I was mm -hmm. 15. Well, I was 16 then, you know, because the year had passed. And I was 16. And here I am 20 years later. I still remember that statement. So I learned something. I don't quite remember what else we talked about in that class. But I remember that in that history class, the lesson that he wanted to teach was, how can you leave the world a better place than when you came into it? And it's through service it's through stewardship mm -hmm. and well yeah you know and i think that so first of all i love that story because elmer's been hearing me say for years that i look at the core thing of what i call my ministry is leaving the world a better place than i found it and that is through uh keeping in mind when you make decisions and you step out in the world and you interact that leaving the world a better place than you find requires you to in your own way leave every person you have an interaction with in a better place than you found them if possible mm, mm. that you that that it starts not with you know doing a foundation or doing a big building or making millions of dollars so you can give hundreds of thousands to charity. That's all great stuff, but it's really about who did you empower today to have hope? Who did you inspire right. today to say, I can and move forward and do this? Uh -huh. And so now you talked about who you teach and who you mentor. I would, I would say, you know, add to that and who you role model to. And, and I know that there are a lot of people actively and passively who are looking at mm -hmm. me and to me. What I say, what I don't, what I call attention to, what I don't. I know that there are a lot of people in the world that are looking at that. That's that's the price we pay for being in the public. And mm -hmm. I, think the, I think the obligation that we owe is to show a constructive and meaningful image to the public that does some civic and personal good. You know, one of the things that I, that I, because people say, oh, you, you you know, everyone remembers you and you always, you know, make an impression in the room. And, you know, I, I started to look at myself and say, why is it to dissect? Why, how is it that I have that effect? And I think I understand a little bit more about why I'm like that. It's because I walk into a room and I try and find something good about everybody in there. And I let them know what that is mm -hmm. to their face. I also would suspect that you are an active listener. All I do is listen. And I listen to what people say and what they don't and what their bodies say and what mm -hmm. they don't and what the silence between what they say and what they do and what they don't can communicate. Mm-hmm. You have to be a behaviorist if you want to be a storyteller. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Elmer and I have had this conversation before. 
um, you know, Alan and I worked on a project and I was the writer on the project and I was doing character development and things like this. And I keep on going, you know, because my primary practice for the last 32 years has been as a spiritual coach, counselor and catalyst. And it's like, I, and I would look at stuff and I would go crazy. I'm like, this is not real. This is not how people actually function in the world. This is, I would get, I would go crazy in this, like somebody would come in and want to change something. And I'd be like, but this person would not do that. It's inauthentic. It might show better for somebody who wants to buy the script for Hollywood, but mm -hmm. it's not actually how, you know, when you understand and you, you kind of do that, uh, where the people that you are creating in your writing mm -hmm. are actual people that would be walking on the street that you would meet at the cocktail party that you would bump into at the grocery line. And they're not going to have the, the Hollywood shine to them that like get, likes get to get portrayed, which is one of the things that has devastated so many, so much self-worth and so much self-esteem in the last 40 years. It's more mm -hmm. than 40 years. It's just mind boggling. And yet there's another way of looking at storytelling too, which is acknowledging that it's complete artifice. You know, and the expressionists did that quite beautifully. Mm -hmm. They said, all of this is artifice. You're not here in this room with me. You're in a theater watching yeah. or you're in a movie house watching. And so there, there is another way of telling story too. Verisimilitude, which is what you're talking about, is certainly one way of doing it. And then mm -hmm. another way, of course, is Fantasia. How do I acknowledge the artifice? How do I embrace it? But most importantly, now how do I use it? Because now it's a tool. So now I have an obligation to activate the fantasy and thereby use it. I think for me, now other artists would do something else, but for me, it's how do I use the fantasy to critique the reality that it's running away from or that it's in response to? Yes. But when you're doing that, you're not trying to play it as if it is supposed to be reality. Absolutely not. I yeah. know that it's fake the and, I'm teach, and I'm teaching you that it's fake. Mm -hmm. Every step of the way in the script, I'm teaching you to understand that this is a fantastical world that is uh, in inverse, maybe a shadow world or a light world to the one that you are accustomed to seeing. But in that parallel, there are things that similar to yours and you will see the errors and and also the 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 boons of your world through that fantasy yes absolutely i, I think that the one thing dr kevin uh, might be more referring to in this instance is, is the two-dimensional characters you know he always talks about you you have somebody on paper and they look so boring because it's just like you know x equals y equals z and they and they have no no depth to them. They have no reasoning behind. Like, why did someone do something? And you're like, you have no idea. So I think that's part of what he's talking about is how to make them real, is how to make them, you know, um, three-dimensional, how to have and you, the, the and dimensions. You know how, and let me tell you how you do that. You listen. You get on a bus and you just listen to them. I mean, you really just do. And, and also you call people. If there's a character that you don't know or whose lived experience you don't know anything about, you call somebody or you do a reading of a piece. You know, this is one of the well, this is one of my big MOs is taking the literary godlike model out of writing. We don't know everything. We don't know how everybody who we who peoples our scripts talks or thinks or breathes or fucks. We don't. And for us as writers to think that we are some kind of empirical authority is really just a manifestation of imperialism and colonialism. We ah. need to build from community. You know, the first thing I do whenever I have a first draft of a script, especially when I don't know about the culture, is I bring it back to the people and I say, let's read this and let's, where have I not represented? What do I need to know and learn from this world? And that's, that is missing a lot in, the, in this industry. And that's why when Absolutely. we wrote when we wrote Kings and Queens, you know, um, you know, I, I am part of the queer community, but I'm, 
you know, I'm a guy and I'm not a drag queen. So when we were doing drag kings, you know, there's two steps away from me, you know, you mm-hmm. got a female and the drag, you know, in the drag world. So that's what we did is, you know, my writer, we connected her with a uh, drag king, an actual drag king. So she could figure out the character, like what would this character do or not? And yeah, it's all about being authentic. And I think sometimes that is missing in, in, in a lot of stuff that's written is you, like you said, you know, <laughs> some cis white white male is like, yeah, I know everything. I have this God complex and I'm the writer and I'm going to create these characters the way I think they are. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and you know where authenticity comes from, it comes from humility. Mm-hmm. It comes from, it comes from the openness to discuss what you don't know. Right. Right. Roger, I'm going to just pipe in a little bit because, of course, they know. I mean, I called you and talked to you. I vet everybody before I bring them on the show because, you know, we've had a couple people. They want to go into politics and they want to they don't like this. And I'm like, you are on the wrong show that you're you're not coming on this show because I'm growing up in New York City in the 60s and 70s, you know, with. anti-gay, anti-woman, pro-black, anti-black. I mean, you know, my family had it all. And so I saw things in so many different ways. But as an artist, my family couldn't understand me because, you know, they were from the South and Mm -hmm. they are like, you know, the KKK and they couldn't understand all these different levels of people and the way people think. Mm-hmm. And to be a little bit flexible. So I became an outcast, which is fine because to me, that's how you learn and grow is by being the outcast. Correct. And so when I went and did a little digging on you and seeing who you were and what you did, I thought this is this is someone who's groundbreaking, you know, because I love learning. I've always loved school. I love people who can teach me because even though I grew up in the theater and music, I'm actually a musician by trade. Mm-hmm. I was exposed to so many people who were not allowed to be themselves because we weren't in that time. Mm-hmm. And some of the things I saw that you said 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went, yeah, I went and I just Ooh, it. Lord, I, I, just know the, I know the interview you're looking at. <laughs> I know the one you're looking at. I thought, I thought back to when Sylvester was one of my favorite performers. Mm. And, you know, that was no bueno for my family. They're like, of all the people you could find, you know, you found this guy. And then, of course, Freddie Mercury mm-hmm. and Elton John, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all these people that, you know, they were telling me all this crazy stuff. So when I look back at some of your interviews, some of the things that you said that I found very deep and groundbreaking, mm-hmm. I knew we had to have you on because you are driving force in that community. And I think you're giving power to people who didn't know they didn't have power. And and let me say this to you. I didn't know I had that power either because, you know, the, the interviews from 15 years ago, first of all, I already knew who I was then, but didn't appreciate that person just yet. So there was a certain, there was a certain aspirational performance of knowing that was going on in those times. But yet what was happening was I was actually tapping into the future person that I would become. Even though I didn't know it, I was actually having a metaphysical union with my future self through through public discourse, through thought leadership. In other words, speaking out loud, being a persona was a way into me envisioning and seeing my future self. And what's important about that is that I tried through all of those years, especially in those early years, 15 years ago, what you're talking about, to run away from the personality work Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I wanted at that time to be seen and respected as a, quote, man of letters. Now, I want to break that down. I want to break down the man part. I wanted to be respected for a, a a very authoritative masculine relationship to our craft. These Arthur Millers and 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 Shakespeare's of the world. And letters, meaning I wanted to have my work and thoughts be respected from the page. But I'm the showgirl who writes it down. Mm-hmm. I work best and think best when I'm on my feet, when I'm improvising. 
That's when spirit comes to me. And then my job is to transcribe, to write it down. But to sit and do it the other way, which is to sit in a room and play like I'm God, this kind of cisgender white male authorship model that we were just describing earlier, it doesn't work for me. And it wasn't until I actually embraced that other person, the divine feminine, as we, you know, as we call it in my circle, that embrace allowed me to become a stronger writer because it was from not knowing, from sitting in the discomfort of being lost, of being scared, of being uh, in, in complete confusion and chaos at the beginning of a play. There's the quiet before the storm and then there's the storm. And then there's the storm after the storm. How do you embrace that whole psychosocial and spiritual roller coaster that you go on? You sit in mantra of acceptance. You sit in, I don't know, and I'm here to receive. Mm-hmm. And that and that's something that a performer knows. Before mm-hmm. we get up, we don't know shit. Mm-hmm. And if you're gonna do the performance that you did yesterday, that's when you're gonna go up on your lines because you ain't the same motherfucker mm-hmm. today that you was yesterday. Because, <laughs> because today your light bill came in. Yeah. Uh. Today that'll your throw you. <laughs> Your light bill will throw you on stage, trust me. Right. <laughs> Today you got a text from your landlord talking about this uh, month he is going to be charging you that late fee. <laughs> so you automatically already ain't the same person you was yesterday. So right. quit trying to live in what used to be. Right. So the person that you saw 15 years ago was dreaming of becoming the person I am now. The person I am now is excited. I'm not dreaming about being anybody else because I'm living in this moment and loving it. I'm excited to be exactly who I am right now. I'm excited to learn who I will become, but I'm not going I'm not studying that person. Sure, I have ideas and hopes and dreams and you know aspirations, and some of them are, you know, internal and some of them are outward. You know, some of them are Western and some of them are not you know, success markers, but I'm just enjoying exactly where I am right now. For once in my life, I can say to you, I'm satisfied right where I am and I'm enjoying it. And I ain't I'm trying taking to- note. I ain't trying to plan. I ain't trying to plan. Listen, I ain't planning nothing. I'm just here. So you talk about your journey in discovering mm the divine feminine yes how do you see your journey as the divine masculine you know my journey as the divine masculine i think is about reconciliation with the masculine figures in my life you know, how do I find empathy and understanding for my younger sibling? How do I find empathy and understanding for my dad, with whom I am bound at the hip and yet very oil and water? To understand them as men and really internalize You know, there was a moment recently where I said, I understand why my brother thinks the way he does. And it was like a little glimmer into masculine insight. That's where I am with it now. I can't speak any more about it than that because that's literally all I know. If I can understand them, that's certainly start to something. Well, and there's a very big difference, you know, as somebody who's worked with divine feminine and divine masculine energy, the the first, the, the, for me, the first thing was to recognize most of what we are exposed to is the damaged feminine and the damaged masculine. Mm. And that if you start with the humanity, this is the damaged 
and then understanding the difference between the essence of who they are and being able to separate the damage that they stepped into mm. to survive. It's always about survival. That's right. We're always trying to figure out when we don't have a strong center core of who we are mm -hmm. and, and okay with the fact that whoever we are, we ain't going to be tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that of the, and knowing that it is this evolving process. I, you know, when people talk about, you know, well, I feel like I really know myself. And I said, well, that had to be an old self because your new self, you can't, you haven't finished discovering yet. And as soon as you think, you know, that one, it's going to be different again. You're mm -hmm. always going to be working in the rear view mirror. Because mm -hmm. that's how time functions. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, but, you know, it's it's going in and, and recognizing this is divine working in a damaged form to survive the world that they needed to survive. And so I, I have to step beyond that into the essence of understanding and then also see how that how that damage affected me when it's Panbidi that's close. But of course that damage is going to affect me. But in understanding how the damage affected them and always assuming they were doing the best they could with, with what they had mm -hmm. without making that a um, gag-worthy excuse for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Because there is no forgiveness without real understanding. Not just they did the best they could with what they had. No, no, Bullshit. no, not dismissive, right. not dismissive, right. but intrinsic to yeah. really internalize. Right. They did the best they could. What does that mean for somebody to do everything within their power to stay above water physically or metaphysically mm -hmm. with the with the survival instincts and the coping mechanisms that their socialized world gave them but in my healing of relationship with them mm, mm. then i must understand that damage and recognize it's not their damage is not them but it is the them that i dealt with and the more compassion and empathy i have about the damage and understanding the more I can truly recognize how little, if any of it, ever had to do with me. You now you got me taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> That's power. That's power. And I can't. I I would be a liar if I if I said to you, "Oh, I I'm there. I'm all Buddha Zen about it." I'm not. I'm still working on that. I'm working on depersonalizing damage and damaged self from the essence of person. I'm I'm working on that. And I know that that also probably most likely affects my my romantic relationship. Ooh, rain, we talking about love now. Ooh, child, we talking about love. Love. Don't you just love to be in love? I love to be in love. Well, I, lo I think I love the idea of being in love. And I think a lot of people love that idea of being in they love. They do. I think I, people are in love with the idea of being in love. But mm -hmm. love is painful. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people really want to sit with the pain of love. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it, it's the Man is built, man as in man, men, female as in humanity, man, when I say that. Humanity is built to always be in love with something. It is a chemical necessity mm -hmm. in our brain to have happiness and joy. It doesn't right. always have to be a person. We can be in love with a character we're creating. We can be in love with a new production we're doing. Or we can be in love with a new author or a new best friend. 
and you know so often because i do a lot of couples work and it's like i say oh, they're not they're going to be in and out of love with you and you're going to be in and out of love with them but if you want to have that long-term loving relationship understand what they're in love with when they're not in love with you mm -hmm. and meet them there mm -hmm. and when you're mm -hmm. in love with something else bring it to them and have them meet you there and meet them there i was just talking to one of these i was just talking to one of these lovers the other day child i said i can't have this relationship with you i said because i'm always feeling like i have to doll myself up to to meet you and the things that i do the things that are ingested the things that are consumed both chemical and otherwise in order to reach a place where i feel comfortable in sitting with you are not sustainable and so therefore we are not together well i would i would i would invite you to always remember this um you can be as madly in love with somebody as you want but at the end of the day it is not meant for you if you don't like who you are when you're with them mm -hmm. And that's why I had to let that man go in that context. Because yep. I said, oh, who I have to become mm -hmm. in order to sit here with you mm -hmm. is not healthy for me in that context. Now we can sit there and be bridge club girls real quick. And we can sit there, you know, and be the ladies who lunch, RIP, Sondheim, you know, but in terms of that, me bearing a portal into forever, through you and for you and with you, and that never happened. But I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, I, I can't. I, no. I can't. I, 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 no, we, we, we're not going to be sitting here on this bender. You should never actively have to become something yes. for someone you love. That's you right. Passively become a better self when you're with the right person that's mm -hmm. it and that is what you need to keep in mind and that's that it. goes back to it isn't whether i love you or not it's who am i when i am with you who are you and are we creating the synergy and being our best selves and then that's you know what you I'm are where you belong that, that, and thank you for that because when that happens then I will know that I is in love. <laughs> then I will know. I know we're recording this also. At least I hope we are. We are. Because I'm going to need to listen to this segment. <laughs> this segment right here for my life. This is, y'all don't realize. This is washing me clean. I needed this. Thank you. Well, Good, we're gonna have you back to wash you again because ah, I got all these notes and cookies, and I, I got some questions, and I, I got some cleansing going on here. I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, and, and, and unfortunately, we're we're almost, we got less than two minutes, so uh, yeah, definitely rain. I know we have a, a lot of people that want to come on next year. Oh, we no, have, no, no, he's we, we I want to yeah, get Roger back. Right, on. Yes, yes. I would I say would put Roger on the top of the list. <laughs> you, you were at the top of the list. Oh, well, we, we're going to get that. Yes, we're going to get that happening. So for next show, it's our last show of the 2021 year. We have decided for our listeners that it'll just be the three of us. Oh, um, news to me. Uh, we decided that. You decided it. Did I? <laughs> yes. Somebody tell me what I think. He's <laughs> like, I think it should just be the three of us, and we can clean up the year and blah blah blah. Sounds like something I would say. <laughs> what kind of cookie did you go get? That sounds like a different kind of cookie, Cookie Monster. Cookie. <laughs> yes, so, it'll uh, just be the three of us. So I think. Uh, I think a part of what I want to do in that show is to look back over the this year's guests. It doesn't have to be a long part piece of that show, but I just like to look back and just you know briefly touch about touch on who we had and who we want back and whatnot. And and uh, so we got thirty don't seconds left. Don't be caught touching them. Don't be caught touching them. <laughs> we don't run that kind of media no more. 
Those yes, people go to do. jail now. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> Ramifications, small things. You got me. You got me over here um, taking notes, Doctor Kevin. I can't even believe this. I'm shook to the core, baby. So. I know we have five seconds on the clock, but I want to just, I want to say something to you all. Yeah, Thank you all so much for inviting me into this beautiful dialogue about how to find joy. It is an honor and a pleasure mm -hmm. to be with you all. And I feel as though I have learned so much and my spirit has grown so much through this conversation. I'm grateful and excited to continue the dialogue. Awesome. We are you. too. So, yeah. So hang on with us. Let me, um, I'm going to, we have a video file to play us out as well. An outro. And Roger, thank you. Thank you for helping those that are in such great need of mentoring and helping to show the beauty of they, who they are to a world that they make uncomfortable as they should. Dr. Kevin, if there's one thing I know, it's that, I love what it means to embrace discomfort because from mm -hmm. that we grow, we learn. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Thanks for watching or listening to the Laughing Loving Into Live show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or support us with Buy Me a Coffee. To catch all of the latest from Laughing, Loving, and Alive, you can follow us on Instagram at Laughing, Loving, and Alive and on Facebook at Laughing, Loving, and Alive. Thanks again and see you next time. Yay! Yay! Hey, again, again! Again, again! Well, thank again, you so again. much. I'm going to 